The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on together for a few minutes this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So we ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give, my, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Amen. So we've been talking about who God is and what God has done for us these last few weeks. Today we get to focus on the presence of God. And I know it might seem like we're going to do the same thing on, on Wednesday. We're not. It'll be a little different on Wednesday, I promise. But today we're just going to focus on that word here. We're, we're just going to focus on what it means to have God in our presence now and forever. And I wanted to start with a little portion of a, of a psalm that, that I think is quite applicable here. It's Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Can you imagine a 1,000-day vacation? At this particular point in my life, I cannot. Not even close. C can you imagine... Cost is not a factor. Responsibilities are not tying you down. There is no risk of safety. You could travel anywhere you want. And you could be there for a thousand days. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I can think of places that I would very much enjoy to spend a thousand days. I bet you can too. That's a long time. It's like three years. Three years of just enjoying one place. But the sons of Korah, they say that one day in God's presence is better than a thousand anywhere on earth. That's how awesome it is to be in the presence of our God. But that assumes something, and it, it assumes something very important. It assumes that you or I can be in God's presence. We're looking at Zacchaeus today 
because of a connection to the first reading. In the first reading from Isaiah 59, we were reminded that sin separates us from God, but you know that sin doesn't just destroy our relationship with God. Sin destroys relationships with humans, too. Divorces happen because sin destroys a relationship between a man and a woman who promised to spend their lives together. And, and sin destroys relationships between parents and children who no longer talk to each other, between brothers and sisters who have fallen apart long ago. Sin destroys relationships in the workplace between employees, between employers and employees, between peers. It's why there's bullying in schools. Sin destroys all relationships, not just our relationship with God. And Zacchaeus is an incredible example of both. The people in Jericho did not like Zacchaeus. When Jesus goes to his house, they can't believe it because he has gone to the house of a sinner. And at the very beginning of our text, we heard that Zacchaeus was not only wealthy, he was a a chief tax collector. And so we're told how he got his wealth. Tax collectors were, were brutal people. Nobody liked them. And chances are everyone in Jericho were impacted in some way by Zacchaeus and his sin. He would show up at a a house or a business and he'd have Roman soldiers behind him and you had to pay. It didn't matter what he asked for, you had to pay. And yeah, he was short and yeah, he was weak and maybe you'd want to mock him for his small stature but you couldn't because there were Roman soldiers standing behind him who were going to make you do what he said. There was no hiring lawyers to deal with the IRS when they had clearly made a mistake and they were trying to charge you more than you actually owed, more than your fair share. You're willing to pay the IRS what's owed, but, but not more than you, you, you need to. That's not how this worked. There, there was no justice for you when the tax collector showed up with the soldiers behind him. And he was so good at his job, he had become the chief tax collector, the most important of all the tax collectors, And the fact that he was wealthy tells us that he had taken a lot and from all the people there. Zacchaeus' sin had destroyed his relationship with all the people in Jericho. They didn't like him one bit. And so can you understand their frustration when this Jesus wants to go spend time with him? I was trying to think of any way to illustrate this, maybe for the, for the younger ones, especially since we can't do children's devotions right now. Have you ever been to the Packers stadium during training camp when they're going from the stadium out to the practice field and it's lined with people? And that's the, the bike thing, right, when the kids are trying to get the players to ride their bike? Can you imagine if that, that whole way is just lined with people and there's kids trying to get in to, to see their favorite players and then all of a sudden, the favorite player, maybe it's Aaron Rodgers or, or Zadarius or Jair, somebody, they come and they not only ride your kid's bike, but say, hey, would it be cool if I came over for dinner later? Now imagine that that kid is there with all of his friends and maybe the kid that is chosen is the biggest bully in the whole school. And none of the kids really like him. Like, why does he get to have Aaron Rodgers come to his house? He, he doesn't deserve it. He's the worst. He's always picking on me. He's always making my life miserable. If Aaron Rodgers knew 
how awful this kid was. He never would have picked him to ride his bike, and he never, ever would have decided to go to his house. I think that's kind of how the crowds in Jericho were feeling this particular day. They didn't like Zacchaeus. They did not like him one bit. Sin had destroyed their relationship with him, and they could not understand why Jesus would want to spend time with him. This might seem like a hard transition, but let's talk about heaven and hell for a minute. The doctrines of heaven and hell are not just something for us to be aware of that happens after death. The Bible teaches us things about heaven and hell that help us understand the impact of sin on relationships. Let's start with hell. In hell, there is no glory of God. There is no love of God. There is no mercy of God. You are as far separated from God's glory and love as can be. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the whole earth is full of God's glory and how we have all these examples in our day-to-day lives where we get these little glimpses of God's glory, little, little tastes of his love. It could be an example in creation as you stand at the, the foot of a beautiful mountain or at the rim of a massive canyon. It could be that the presence of loved ones, a taste of the most delicious food, these experiences in our life that bring us joy, that bring us peace, that bring us contentment, they're, they're these little glimpses of God's glory and his love, little respites from suffering here on this earth. But in hell, there's none of that. Sin so far separates us from God and the sinner so deserves hell that in hell, there is no glory of God. There is no glimpses There's no respites. There's no break from suffering. There's no end to sadness. There is not the slightest moment to take a breath and find peace. Here on earth, everyone gets to have glimpses of God's glory and love, whether they believe in him or not, but not in hell. That's how separated we are from God. That's what we deserve. And and then heaven Heaven makes it clear that sinners can't be there. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. Because of what sin does to our relationships here, can you imagine if there was one sinner in heaven? There are so many different types of abusive relationships on this earth. It starts at the youngest of ages. It's why schools have to have no bullying signs all around. I was at St. Mark Lutheran the other day. And I use the restroom and they have no bullying signs all over the restroom at a Lutheran school. They do at public schools. Why is that necessary? Because sin hurts people. There are men in abusive relationships. There are women in abusive relationships. There are children who have abusive parents. There are humans who are abused by their peers and by their leaders. There is sin all around us. Can you imagine if there was one sinner in heaven, one person who could hurt you? one person who could say nasty words to you, one person who could physically harm you, you could never have peace. You would always be wondering if that person might be around or if maybe today they were going to cause you pain. Constantly tiptoeing around them. You see, sinners can't 
be in heaven. Heaven is a place where there is such complete joy, such complete peace, because you're not only in the presence of God, but you're in the absence of sin. It all creates this one perfect environment. See, sin has such a devastating relationship, such a devastating effect on our relationships here and with God. It had to be dealt with. And Zacchaeus is a very important lesson on how it is dealt with and how it's not dealt with. All the people in that crowd, that they thought there's no way that this Jesus should be with him. They knew who Jesus was. He had been on the earth for, he had been doing his ministry for three years. He had been teaching and performing miracles. Maybe they were there. Maybe they heard him. Maybe they were on the beneficial end of his miracles. They knew who Jesus claimed to be. They knew that he claimed to be the Messiah. And yeah, we know that there were some who had the wrong view of the Messiah. They thought that he had come to to save the nation from, from, from Roman tyranny. But either way, they they thought that Zacchaeus did not deserve to be in the presence of this man. Not even a little bit. And what did Jesus show them? You can't deserve to be in my presence. I have to want to be in your presence. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. Jesus wants to be in your presence. Think about that. God wants to be in your presence and wants you in his. And he knows that you can't be and so his own arm worked salvation for him. He became a man who never once destroyed a relationship with another human. Jesus never was the reason that another human did not like him. You ever think about that? Zacchaeus was the reason that other people didn't like him. It was his actions, his sin, that caused others around him to despise his being. But Jesus never did that. He so flawlessly lived in this world that he never caused harm to anyone. And yet what happened? He was traveling up to Jerusalem where the masses would shout, crucify him. You'd maybe think, maybe, that the masses would want someone like Zacchaeus crucified. Get rid of that guy. We don't want him around anymore. We hate this guy. And maybe there would be plots on his life. But no, the plots were on Jesus' life, which makes no sense because he had never sinned. He had never caused irreputable harm to a relationship. And yet when they shouted crucify, he didn't defend himself. He didn't say, no, this is wrong. He allowed himself to die a death he did not deserve. He endured the father placing the sins of the whole world, Zacchaeus' sins, your sins, my sins on him, and then endured the Father treating him as though he had committed those sins. He suffered hell. He suffered existence on the cross apart from the glory of God. He suffered existence on the cross apart from the love of God as he endured the punishment for the sins of the whole world. Why would he do that? So that you and I could be in his presence. 
And just so that you and I would be absolutely certain that we actually can be in his presence, he rose from the dead. Because it was the sins of the world that his father placed on him that caused his death. And it's the fact that he's alive again which tells us the sins really are gone. Which means we no longer have a place horrible like hell awaiting us. Because there's no more sins to condemn us. We can be in God's presence forever in heaven because our sins are gone. They've been removed. We will never, ever cause anyone in heaven any harm. We'll merely be at peace with everyone around us and with our God. We started with Psalm 84, and I wanted to close with these words again. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. The point we made in the introduction was that God's presence is so great, one day in his presence is better than a three-year vacation. And that might sound crazy. What's really awesome is that we don't get to just spend one day in God's presence. It's not just today. It's not just tomorrow. It's forever. And if one day in God's presence is better than a thousand days on earth in the best imaginable place, can you imagine how amazing eternity in God's presence will be? Thanks to Jesus, it's certain that you will spend eternity in God's presence. Thanks to Jesus, God is here is no longer a phrase that would terrify us because of our sin. It's a phrase that brings us incredible joy. And eternity starts right now. Amen.